me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guide my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. Oh, great God. Let's pray. Love you, Lord. Please be with us right now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Or would you work in our hard hearts? Make them soft. That we would receive your message. That we would worship you. That we would praise you with all of our hearts. And Lord, for those that are hurting right now, the man that's been kidnapped, Lord, we pray for him. Would you be with him? Would you use him to spread your gospel? Thank you for every person that's in here. Lord, may we love one another. May your love be seen here in your message. And I pray that you would receive all the glory. In your name, amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Matthew chapter 10? probably already knew that. We're going to continue where we left off. This morning is just going to be focused on two verses. Two verses, Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. I think we'll read them twice. <laughs> Might as well, right? Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. I get two different emotions when I read these verses. One is fear and sadness because I have denied the Holy Spirit multiple times inside of me before men. And then the other one that I get is one of excitement and empowerment because I am excited because God has saved me and I want the whole world to know it. And when I read these verses, I think of the extreme. I think of those people like our brother from McKinleyville that is out there now and kidnapped by who knows who for his faith. 
This last week I went down to Sacramento and while I was on my way down, um, I was listening to Fox's Voice of the Martyrs um, on audio. And I, I guess you did some of this last week. Did you do Voice of the Martyrs some? Last, uh, I heard something about And so I'm listening to, I listened to four and a half hours, didn't even, I don't even know if I put a dent in the book. And while I'm driving, I, I have to be honest, there was times where I had to push pause and I just hung my head. Just in conviction. And then once again, there were times where I just felt emboldened and I was excited. And I was listening to these stories and what amazes me is that these guys know what's at stake. They're going out there and they're preaching the word and they know they might lose their life. And they go out there with the love of Jesus and they still do it. And then God uses them to do these amazing things. One of the stories that impressed me among tons of them was about a guy named Telemachus. I think that's how you say his name. They said he was a holy man, a Christian, who was from out of the area, and he went into Persia, and he attended one of these gladiator games at the Colosseum. And so he's watching everything that's going on. The gladiators are down at the bottom, and they're fighting with one another, and the Holy Spirit is stirring inside Telemachus. And he comes out of out of the crowd, he jumps into the arena, and he gets in between the two gladiators. And then he shouts out to the crowd, he says, don't requit God's mercy by killing each other. There's pause. And then the order was given to the gladiators, and they thrust their weapons into him, and they killed him right there on the spot. The shock of the situation opened the eyes of the people to see the evil that was taking place there. And they said that in that particular stadium or arena, there had never been after that another gladiator game. I was amazed. And I was thinking to myself, couldn't there be another way for him to share his faith? I mean, really? But the Holy Spirit working inside of him and he just did this powerful work and I'm sure moments after that he's sitting there praise your name I love you Jesus and then God did that and who knows what else he did through it I'm pondered over and over I'm just blown away by these stories and how they know they know what's at stake when they're doing this I also spent um this last week, rereading, I think it's probably the third time that I've been going through this book again. Richard Wormbrand, Torture for Christ, free book that you can get. Um, if You probably know who Richard Wormbrand is. He's the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, um, the nonprofit organization that tells us what is going on around the world right now about Christians who are being persecuted. Richard Wormbrand was a pastor uh, in Romania during the times of World War II. And... Um, like the Nazi party at that time, the Russians, the Communist Party, they were trying to stamp out everything that they could that had to do with faith and religion, trying to take control of it. And so Wormbrand, he took one of his first steps against this evil with the help of his wife, Sabina, um, early on in World War II, when he stood up to a microphone in front of the Communist regime to proclaim the message of Jesus. I want you to hear this story. Once the communists came to power, they skillfully used the means of seduction toward the church. The language of love and the language of seduction are the same. The one who wishes a girl for a wife and the one who wishes her for only a night both use the words, I love you. 
Jesus has told us to discern between the language of seduction and the language of love. And to know the wolves clad in sheepskin from the real sheep. Unfortunately, when the communists came to power, thousands of priests, pastors, and ministers didn't know how to discern between the voices. The communists convened a congress of all Christian bodies in our parliament building. There were 4,000 priests, pastors, and ministers of all denominations. And these men of God chose, get this, Joseph Stalin as an honorary president of this congress, of this congress. At the time he was president of the world movement of God, of the godless in a mass murder of Christians. One after another, bishops and pastors arose and declared that the commun- that communism and Christianity are fundamentally the same and could coexist. One minister after another said words of praise toward communism and assured the new government of the loyalty of the church. My wife and I were present at this Congress. Sabina told me, Richard, stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in His face. I said to her, if I do so, you lose your husband. She replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. Then I arose and spoke to this Congress, praising not the murderers of Christians, but Jesus Christ, stating that our loyalty is due first to Him. The speeches at this Congress were broadcast and the whole country could hear proclaimed from the rostrum of the Communist Parliament the message of Christ. Afterward, I had to pay for this, but it was worthwhile. Wormbrand goes on to tell story after story of all these amazing things that happened through their ministry. And one of them that was kind of, it, it was comical, but just radical in the same sense. He said that the, uh, the Soviets, the, the, the Russians, they would go around and they would steal people's watches. They had a thing for watches. And so the, the people, or the Romanians would walk around and they'd come up to them and say, give me your watch. So they would rob them of their watches and stuff. And after a while, the people would need a watch. <laughs> so you could go into the barracks of, of the army guys and buy a watch from them. And he said lots of times the guys would just buy their own watch back. And so Wormbrand, he always looking for a way that he's going to minister and, and tell people about Jesus, went in on one day, and I forget which saint day it was, like St. Peter's Day or St. Andrew's Day or whatever. He goes in there and he says, I'd like to buy a watch. So they're showing him the watches and everything. He says, oh, and by the way, do you know today's St. Andrew's, or no, he says, are any of you in here named Andrew? Well, a couple of the guys, well, do you know what today is? St. Andrew's Day, and he starts telling him, and then one of the communist guys says, you're not here to buy a watch, you're here to tell us about God. But then they all wanted to hear, and he says a crowd started gathering. So much so, they were so hungry to hear the word, that they even put their own snitch in their, in their group that said, that would tell them if there was someone coming in that might tip them off of what's going on. And he sat there and he told them the gospel, and there was people that came to Christ through it. He saw many, many people come to Christ through all of this. Um, but as as I said, he had to pay for this. Um, on February 29, 1948, Wormbrand was kidnapped by the secret police. He was on his way to church to go and preach, and a van pulled up next to him. Four guys got, jumped out. They grabbed him, they kidnapped him, they took him off to prison. Spent his first term in prison for eight years. 
Got out for a couple years. Went back for almost six years. So about 14 years he was in a communist prison. The first time when he went in, those four guys got him and they took him in there. I don't know if it's those same four guys, but four guys came, came out of the prison posing as prisoners who had just been released. They went to his wife, Sabina, and they said to her, we witnessed your husband's burial while we were in prison. Just lying to her, just utter torment for what's going on, and she was completely heartbroken. In his book, he says that he doesn't wish to go into some of the different tortures and things that, that were taking place, but as I read the book, it's just like one thing after another. And I don't know what he left out, but there must have been lots that he left out. And I think it's really important for us to hear this and know what is going on out there and realize also how powerful God is through all of it and how good He is. I want to read to you a couple pages of this. I'm going to do a lot of reading out of here. A pastor by the name of Florescu was tortured with red-hot iron pokers and with knives. He was beaten very badly. Then starving rats were driven into his cell through a large pipe. He could not sleep because he had to defend himself all the time. If he rested a moment, the rats would attack him. He was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night. The communists wished to compel him to betray his brethren, but he resisted steadfastly. Eventually, they brought his 14-year-old son to the prison and began to whip the boy in front of his father, saying that they would continue to beat him until, um, until his father said what they wished him to say. The poor man was half mad. He bored as long as he could, and then he cried to his son, Alexander, I must tell him what they would. I can't bear your beating anymore. The son answered, Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and the motherland. The communist in rage fell upon his child and beat him to death with blood splattered over the walls of his cell. He died praising God. Our dear brother Florescu was never the same after seeing this. Handcuffs with sharp nails on the insides were placed on our wrists. If we were totally still, they didn't cut us. But in the bitter coldness, um, when we shook with cold, our wrists would be torn by the nails. Christians were hung upside down on ropes and beaten so severely that their bodies swung back and forth under the blows. Christians were also placed in an icebox refrigerator cells, which were so cold that frost and ice covered the inside. I was thrown into one while I had a very, very little clothing on. Prison doctors would watch through an opening until they saw symptoms of freezing to death. Then they would give a signal and guards would rush in and take, out, and take us out and make us warm. When we were finally warmed, we would immediately be put back into the ice um, box cells to freeze. Thawing out, then freezing in within minutes of death, then being thawed out over and over again. Even today, there are times when I can't bear to open a refrigerator. We Christians are sometimes forced to stand in wooden boxes only slightly larger than we, we were. These left no room to move, so the boxes over them. Just, just barely any room to be inside these boxes. Dozens of sharp nails were driven into every side of the box with their razor-sharp points sticking through the wood. While we stood perfectly still, it was all right. 
But we were forced to stand in these boxes for endless hours. When we became fatigued and swayed in tiredness, the nails would pierce our bodies. If we moved or twitched a muscle, they were, there were the horrible nails. What the communists have done to Christians surpasses any possibility of human understanding. I have seen communists whose faces while torturing believers shone with rapturous joy. They cried out while torturing the Christians, We are the devil! We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of evil. We saw that communism is not from men, but from the devil. It is a spiritual force, a force of evil, and can only be countered by a greater spiritual force, the Spirit of God. I contemplated leaving this next one out, but I'm going to leave it in. Several Christians have asked me how we could resist brainwashing. There is only one method of resistance to brainwashing. It's a heart washing. If the heart is cleansed by the love of Jesus Christ, and if the heart loves Him, one can resist all tortures. What would a loving bride not do for a loving bridegroom? What would a loving mother not do for her child? If, the love of, uh, if you love Christ as Mary did, who had Christ as a baby in her arms, if you love Jesus as a bride loves her bridegroom, then you can resist such tortures. God will judge us not according to how much we endure, but how much we could love. The Christians who suffered for their faith in prisons could love. I'm a witness that they could love God and man. The tortures and brutality continued throughout interruption. When I lost consciousness or became two days to give the torturers any further hopes of confession, I would be returned to my cell. Then I would lie, unattended and half dead, to regain a little strength so they could work on me again. Many died at this stage, but somehow my strength always managed to return. In the ensuing years, in several different prisons, they broke four vertebrae in my back and many other bones. They carved me in a dozen places. They burned and cut 18 holes in my body. When my family and I were ransomed out of Romania and brought to Norway, doctors at Oslo, Seeing all this and the scars of my lungs from tuberculosis declared that my being alive today is a pure miracle. According to their medical books, I should have been dead for years. I know myself that it is a miracle. God is a God of miracles. I believe God performed this wonder so that you could hear my crying, my voice crying out on behalf of the underground church in persecuted countries. He allowed one to come out alive and to cry aloud the message of your suffering, faithful brethren. Gornbrandt's story, along with all the rest of these martyr stories, it reminds me of Acts 5.41, after the apostles had just been in prison and beaten, tortured for their faith, rejoiced because God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of of Jesus. How do these stories affect us? How do they affect you? Do you hear them and then just compartmentalize them like another commercial that you've seen on TV? In many ways, I think we have to do that. I mean, we have... All this information coming at us all the time when we're watching TV. It's always groundbreaking news. Amazing thing happened over here. This tragedy happened. Terrorists, ISIS, 
watch movies that always get our emotions going up and down and to cope with things, we have to do that. We have to compartmentalize. We can't just let one thing affect us so much or else it's going to disrupt everything else in our life. We can't be too radical. That's a taboo word, right? Radical. Remember there was one time where I was talking with my supervisor, we were car to car, and we started talking about Christianity talking about what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And he said to me, he says, yeah, but you, you don't want to be too radical. I agree with what you're saying, but... And I responded to him, I said, well, do you think the apostles were radical? He just put his car in drive and drove off. I don't think that's an uncommon response, though. Even for all of us Christians that come to church every Sunday, sadly enough, I think that oftentimes we tend to treat our faith in many ways like our jobs and everything else in our life. Our faith has its place. Our jobs have their place. Our family lives have their place. We have something for everything. And faith is just another one of those things that we have in our place. We've been blessed in this country to have so, so much and to live comfortably. We don't see the need. I don't see the need. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm talking to myself. I see these things and it just convicts me. Don't be radical. Don't be radical. That's what we're told. Don't be too radical about anything. Although there are some things in our society that it's okay to be radical about, right? (laughs) Like sports. I mean, you could have the hat. You could have the umbrella. My dad came in with his umbrella today. You could have the umbrella of your favorite team, the coat. The every you name it, your sports cars lined up, you go into the house, you see the poster, that's okay. That's cool. You can do that. You can have the bumper sticker. I have all the cards too. Um my dad and I went to a baseball game last May, watched the Giants play the Cubs. He's a Cubs fan. And we go there and it's amazing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. Um, so we go there, and it's amazing, right? I, well, I thought we were going to get clobbered, too. I didn't know that the Giants fans are nicer than Dodgers fans or Raiders fans. Everyone's going to hate me after this sermon for the wrong reasons. But we go there, and he's wearing his Cubs stuff. And I'm like, at first I was saying, I don't want to know who this guy is. But then after a while, I realized, well, there's a lot of Cubs fans here. And they come out of the woodwork, and they're talking to my dad like they know him. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. There's like this bond. The family. And then they talk like this. Hey, are we going to do it this time? As if they're part of the team. They're not part of the team. Are we going to win this year? And then the Cubs, if their Cubs are like, yeah, this might be the year, but we're probably going to throw it away like we always do because they haven't been to a World Series since 1945 and won one since 1908. But this year they're looking pretty good. I had fun watching the game last night too. I know it's contradicting everything I'm saying in the sermon. But I watched it, and I watched how you can just, there's this bond. And I'm saying, wouldn't that be awesome if that's how the church was? If we were so bold about our faith. And in some ways we are. Because I can tell you this, I spend a lot more time with people at work than I do with most of you. And there is a bond that I have when I come in and look in some of your eyes that there's a love, and I know it's the Holy Spirit. But in so many ways, I am a chicken and you're a chicken and we don't live like that. We don't have this kind of boldness that we should have. 
for Christ. But Jesus tells us, He warns us. This is a warning. So everyone who acknowledges Me before man, I also will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I also will deny before My Father who is in heaven. I've already said over and over again that I have denied God multiple times. And it is scary. And this hits home. And it's, it, it really does because I know. I know that what I believe is true. You know it is if you know Christ. And it scares me. So am I going to lose my salvation? Have I lost my salvation? Is it possible to lose your salvation? It's all throughout Scripture. The, the, the short answer is no. If you are saved, if you know Jesus, you are no longer your own. You were bought with a price. Christ is in you working out our salvation. And He will never leave us or forsake us. Oftentimes we're referred to as sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. And when that one strays away, when we backslide, when we go the other way, our good shepherd comes and He gets us. And He brings us back. And He strengthens us. He sustains us. Romans chapter 8. The whole chapter tells, talks about it. Let's go to verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. It's often referred to as the golden chain. Think about it. Each uh, rings, gold rings, they're interlocked with each other. And each one of those words are one of those rings. So the first ring would be predestined. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. If this, then this, then this, then this. If you were known by the Father before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, we don't have to worry about losing our salvation. But our actions in our life and our testimony will show whether or not we are really saved or not. One of the classic examples that we have in Scripture is Peter, of course. He denied our Jesus Christ more than once in one situation. He repented. And as we know, he was used to write some of the Scripture. He spread the Word of the Gospel everywhere. We're still receiving from it. And he was martyred for the faith, crucified upside down. So what exactly does it mean to acknowledge the Father before men. Is it just words? Can, can we do it with just our actions? This passage? It's very important for us to know. I mean, what's at stake here is huge. Um, I think this passage in, in Matthew 10, you could almost just read this a few times over and over again. It is so straightforward and so blunt and clear. It, it, I mean, there's no question. So let's go to start with verse 16. And read through 32, and then I'll try to like magnify or uh, expose some of those some of those areas, so that we could see what we're talking about when it comes to acknowledging Jesus before men. 
Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Notice that everything is for the sake of Jesus. And it's for our good and His glory. To bear witness before them. There, are, there it is. Okay, so we're to bear witness. Bearing witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak. There it is. Speak. Or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit, God, of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? And that is us. We are of his household. So this is encouraging us, not just the apostles there. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, what? Say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim. Where? On the housetops. If you're standing on your housetop and you're twirling around 360 degrees proclaiming the message of Jesus you're not just focusing on one type of person, someone who's like you or anyone. You're giving it to everyone. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Acknowledging God, acknowledging Christ to the world is more than just our actions. It's our words. It's our words. Our words save People. Our words save us. Romans 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified and with your mouth you confess and are saved. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But we would also be mistaken to think that God only wants our lip service. He doesn't want us just to give the right message and then have no actions in our life to show His love to everybody else. If we're truly Christ's children, it's going to be a 
in here burning so much, in love with God so much that we can't keep it in. It has to come out. In fact, he warns us in Titus. He's talking to people about this. He's, he says in, in uh, Titus, verse 16, about these people who are, who are basically hypocrites. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And we go to Matthew chapter 7. There's going to be, I mean, this, this scares me too. Go up before the Father and say, I, I know you, Jesus. And He says, depart from me. I never knew you. James makes clear that our faith without works is dead. So when you speak, speak the truth in love, in genuineness, knowing that it's the power of God inside of you doing it. Romans 1.16 Don't be ashamed. I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It is not us that do it. It is the power of God. And when you read the bumper sticker that says, tell people about Jesus and if necessary, use words, think, yes, yes, I want to show the world my love through my actions. And then right after you think that thought, think, and I'm going to use the word of Jesus every time I can in every situation that I can also. It's both. We want to look at this gospel and everything with a fine-tooth comb. How can I get by without getting hurt? How can I get by with doing it the easy way? Can I just do it with my actions? I do. I don't like needles. I don't even like I don't like any pain at all. That's why it's God doing it through me. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but Do you realize that if we never used words to proclaim the message of the gospel, we didn't have anything to worry about as far as like suffering or persecution, like as far as inflicted upon us? If Jesus never opened his mouth to tell people the truth and to correct them from doing wrong, they wouldn't have wanted to persecute him. They would just say, man, this guy sure loves us. He's a nice guy. He's healing all of us. He's doing all of these amazing works. If the apostles never said anything, they wouldn't have tried them and put them on the cross. Upside down, inside of stabbing with a sword, whatever they did. Any of these people that are being persecuted, none of them would have had to worry. When they're up to people, when they're being persecuted in front of people, half the time, the torturers just want them to recant. Just say you don't believe what you believe anymore. What is so dangerous about the message coming out of our mouths? I mean, they've heard what we've said already. What, did you really believe if I just tell you I recant and I'm a communist now, then everything's all right, that I've changed in my heart? What is so dangerous about this word coming out of our mouth, this message? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It saves people. It causes demons to shudder. It breaks apart darkness and it saves souls. It saves us. We dare not be silent. 
People won't be saved without it. The whole Bible is a story of us people rebelling against God and then God running after us with His arms open and saving us with His words. And then He's called you and I to use those words and spread them. It's remarkable. With all of this comes fear. I'm afraid. I know we get afraid. Um, But we're not supposed to fear man who could destroy only our bodies. We're supposed to fear him who has the power to destroy both our body and our soul in heaven. Um, Remember that our Father in heaven cares about the most minuscule member of our body, our hair. It's all numbered. He loves us that much. And He's in complete control. Not even a sparrow is going to fall to the ground apart from His saying that it should happen. Not one fist is going to strike a martyr's face or our face apart from God saying it shall happen. And then when it's happening, we can take heart because we know that Christ is going through it with us. He's in us, enduring it. He's the one giving us the ability and the strength to go through it. There's the story after story in here where in the midst of being tortured, they look upon their torturers with love. He says over and over again, I can tell you with a pure heart, that I love these people and I want them to know Christ. There was times where he's in his cell and and his cell lit up with like diamonds on the wall. Christ intervenes in the most amazing ways if we would just trust him. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God as God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, has, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him. Not through ourselves. Through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And our persecution in Humboldt County compa- pales in comparison to that of Wormbrands, to that of all the apostles, to that what's going on in the Middle East and in most of the world around us. And that is why it is so important for us to think of these extreme circumstances. If God has victory in their situations, and gives them strength through everything that they're going through, will He not also help us in the United States? 
with what we have going on? What do we have to lose? Friends? Or they might be saved through it. Family? Jobs? You might have a lame training like the one I have every two years. And my job, harassment. You ever have these trainings? I get mad every time I go to them. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about gender. Don't talk about religion. If you send someone a birthday card and they're offended, they could sue you. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. A few years back, I had gone through a period of time where, yeah, there was times where I had shared my faith, but by and large, this fear of what could happen. Could I get sued? Could I lose my job? Will I get reprimanded if I do it at work? That, that fear was inside of me. And there was times where I didn't, I didn't talk about it. I thought, you know what, maybe after work sometime, if I have the time. Because, you know, you've got you to gotta, you gotta be a good employer. I've got to show that I'm a good Christian worker. That's my witness. I've got to be a good Christian worker, so I'll just wait. I'll compartmentalize it. I'll do this good work now, and then I'll wait till I'm done with work. And then if I see them again, perhaps, per se, I'll tell them about Jesus then. And I know that it was wrong how I was feeling, because inside of me, God was saying, share. This person is ripe right now for the harvest. And then a few years ago, I decided I don't care anymore. I am going to do it. I'm just going to tell them when opportunity comes. And I've done it multiple times. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm telling you, I've failed. I've even failed since then. But there's been more times where I've yielded. I haven't sued yet or anything, but it can come. What can we lose? We're going to lose our house? You're going to reprimand me at my work? What can happen? A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God saying it's okay. He knows the hairs of my head. These people are getting killed over here. They get out of prison and they go back telling more people about Jesus and count it worthy to be suffered. When this country was first put together by a bunch of most, a lot of people who at least viewed the Bible as being worthy of proclaiming from wherever they were speaking from, people who were Christians, they were bold. When you read uh, Abraham Lincoln's, one of his inaugural addresses, I read it. It's in a book for the greatest sermons ever preached. Yeah. I read through it. It's almost all Scripture. I think part of the reason why we're in our place now in, in, the, in the U.S. where we're afraid to speak is because we decided, you know what, it's okay just to share our faith with our actions and not our words anymore. I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking to myself also. I always talk like this. I, I know. But it's true. Let us join with Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32 where he says, so whatever... When, uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, 
that they may be saved. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God. Everything. Think to yourself. You know that the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You know when the conviction's coming. I try to think about this. This isn't just for a message for those who are gifted with evangelism or missions or whatever the case may be. This is talking to all of us. And so I know some people are a little bit more vocal than others or extroverted. So I was thinking, what about someone who's like really shy, but they want to do this? What's something that could help them? And this is how basic I think. I was thinking, if you put on a t-shirt with something that had to do with Jesus, like a Bible verse or a fish or something like that, it's going to come. Someone's going to say something. If you want to figure out a way to start a conversation, do that. Might sound lame, but might might work. I want to close um, with two more stories out of here. One's a rebuke to us. The other one's, I think, a little bit more encouraging. And I hope you take the rebuke the right way. I think it's a powerful thing. We take it in context. I want you to understand. I've had the opportunity to read this book a few times. I know the heart of the author. The heart of the author loves us just as much as he loves those that are being persecuted in other areas. Um, so think about that while you're reading this. Hear the point of the message. Page 47. I will tell you just one case of suffering of a family that I know personally. A brother entered prison on account of his work in the underground church. He left behind a wife with six children. His older daughters of 17 and 19 could not get a job. The only one that gives jobs in a communist country is the state. And it does not give jobs to children of criminal Christians. Please don't judge the story according to the moral standards. Just receive the facts. That's his heart, okay? So hear that. Hear his heart behind this. The two daughters of a Christian martyr, Christians themselves, became prostitutes to support their younger brothers and sick mother. Their younger brother of 14 became insane when he saw it and had to be put in an asylum. When years later... The imprisoned father returned. His only prayer was, God, take me to prison again. I can't bear to see this. His prayer was answered, and he was jailed again for the crime of having witnessed to Christ to children. His daughters were no longer prostitutes as they received jobs by complying with the demands of the secret police. They became informers. As daughters of a Christian martyr, they were received with honor in every house. They listened, and then they would report everything they hear the secret police. Don't just say that this is ugly and immoral. Of course it is. But ask yourself if it is not also your sin that such tragedies occur. That such Christian families are left alone and are not helped by you who are free. That can be taken wrong. But the idea is, is if we're living radically for Christ, proclaiming His message, obeying the call of missions, supporting by sending Bibles and literature, evil is going to be fought so that Instances like that 
hopefully would occur less and less. That's the rebuke. I cried multiple times while I was reading through this. Pulling over my car. No, I didn't read while I was driving. <laughs> in, my, in my room, and then also when I was listening to the audio tape. Here's the other. I wanted to, I want to end with one. I think this is more positive and encouraging. This letter is an encouragement um, letter. It's a, it's a letter from Maria. She's a Christian girl who led Varia, a member of the Communist Youth or- Organization of Christ. Um, there were multiple letters um, that she had sent. And this is the final letter. Dear Maria, at last I have found the opportunity to write you a few lines. I can tell you, my dear one, that by the grace of God, Sister X, we don't know who it is, and I are healthy and feel well. We are now in, and then the location's omitted. I thank you for your motherly care for me. We received all that you have prepared for us. I thank you for the most valuable thing, the Bible. Thanks to all. When you write to them, send my greetings and thanks for what they have done for me. Since the Lord revealed to me the deep mystery of His holy love, I consider myself to be the happiest in the world. The persecutions that I have to endure, I consider as a special grace. I am glad that the Lord gave me from the first days of my faith the great happiness to suffer for Him. Pray for me that I may remain faithful to the Lord to the end. May the Lord keep you all and strengthen you for the holy battle. Sister X and I kiss you all. When we are sent to, location admitted, perhaps we will have the opportunity to write to you again. Don't worry about us. We're glad and joyful because our reward is in heaven. Your Varya. This is the last letter from Varya, the young communist girl who found Christ witnessed about him and was sentenced to slave labor. She was never heard from again, but her beautiful love and witness for Christ shows the spiritual beauty of the suffering, faithful, underground church. I'd like to do communion now. Would the ushers come forward?
thousand years for a shining as a sun. You believe it? I know. <laughs> it's awesome. God is good. Love God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant is the promise. We're going to endure the promise, the covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for your grace that we don't deserve. We love you, Lord. Please work out our salvation in us. And Lord Jesus, will we be a body of people that proclaim you and who you are so the world would know. Thank you. In your name, amen.